1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Dishes and Dimes. This is actually a really special one because it is our first episode with our new partnership with BasketballNews.com. So if you thought that this whole thing was just an elaborate plan to force Nikias to come on our podcast, then you are correct. But anyways, I'm Kelsey. I'm joined by Iman. Hello. And yeah, let's get right into it. Um, All right. What? Or have you been watching? Have you been watching these conference finals games? Conference finals in quotation marks. I have. I have. What do you think? So just generally to, I guess, to
0: the new listeners of Dishes and Dimes, what we normally do is our dish segment, which is what we're starting right right now. We dish about the NBA. We talk about all the goings on's. In in the NVA world, which right now is the conference finals, that doesn't include the Toronto Raptors, which I'm incredibly sad about.
1: It should, it should have included them, especially the way that Boston's been playing up until last night, Saturday night. But we digress.
0: Do we though? Because I've got more thoughts. No, I'm kidding. I
1: don't.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, what, what are? <laughs> Here's my whole thing. I'm really surprised by the Miami Heat. And maybe I'm saying this as a ploy to get Nikaias Stunk in on the Editions of Nightman podcast. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised by their – and, yes, they lost yesterday. And, yes, it looked like they were going to be blown out in game two. And I still think that – very similar to how I felt about the Raptors-Celtics where it felt like if the Raptors were going to win a game against the Celtics, it had to be a close game. I just didn't think that the Raptors had the offensive firepower to really – um, beat the the Celtics in in a blowout capacity, and I thought that the Celtics did just because they have so many guys like we saw yesterday, multiple guys scoring twenty points. Uh, I thought that they just had more offensive versatility and were just obviously more offensively potent team, which we saw all season long. They were top four in offense um, and that 's how I felt about this heat. Celtics series, and that's kind of what we've seen sort of play out, where if the Heat win a game, it's very close. It's by one or two possessions down at the end. And the Celtics win a game, and it is a, a, bigger, a bigger win, although the Celtics just continue to almost beat themselves, which is what we saw, I think, in the
1: second round, and it's what we continue to see now. What do you think about that? I mean, so my sleeper pick, if it wasn't for Toronto, would have been the Heat coming out of the East. Mm. So I'm not surprised, but I, I'm surprised by the fight that the Celtics put up in game three, just because we heard all the rumblings about what was going on in the locker room and things. You thought they
0: got the fight all out of them.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, Maybe that's it. Maybe it is exactly what they needed. I mean, to switch it over to the Western Conference finals. I know Michael Porter Jr. called out his teammates too and said more people needed to be doing things and they performed pretty well after that. So maybe everyone needs a swift kick in the butt sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, Here's my whole thing with the Celtics sort of in-house fighting. I, maybe it's a good thing. I think that people are too quick to call it a good thing. I kind of look at the Toronto Raptors. They were down 0-2 in the conference finals last year. And you ask Kawhi, what's next for the team? And he was like, we're going to Toronto. Or like, where do you go next from here? And he was like, back to Toronto? Like, game three, what are you talking about? And um, even this year, when the Raptors went down 0-2... And there was some blame to go around. I think you could sort of have been upset at Nick Nurse for some of his decision-making, not calling the timeout in game two specifically. Like, game two was a game the Raptors really should have won. Um, You can look at Pascal Siakam turning the ball over and really just... um, That was sort of the one game where I look at where I was probably most upset with Pascal Siakam's performance down the line. And so there was blame to really go around, I guess you could say. And that's not what the Raptors did. They didn't fight. They didn't bicker. We didn't hear about people throwing tantrums in the locker room or people pointing fingers and pointing blame. That's something that fans do, sure, but that wasn't what the Raptors did. They didn't blame anyone. Instead, they came back in Game 3, and they ended up winning that and pushing the series to 7, and I think that there's just a difference in the makeup of the Toronto Raptors team versus what the Celtics have and yeah maybe it's a little bit of firepower but is that a team that's really poised to win it all like I, I kind of look at the championship DNA that the Raptors had where they never got too high they never got too low they just went in there and played to the best of their capabilities for that game and that won them a championship last year and I think that it carried over into this year and was the reason they were able to push it to a game seven with you know, that came down to one single possession at the end of the game, really. It came down to the final seconds of the game without their star player playing like a
1: star player. No, you're right. And I mean, it's not just that it didn't leak that the Raptors were arguing or anything because the same reporters that were reporting on the Celtics are the ones in the bubble reporting on the Raptors. Right. So it just, it didn't happen. And it it does, you're right. It does show kind of the way that the team's made up and, you know, blame isn't being appointed necessarily to players but to the team as a whole whereas the Celtics it seems like you know there's there's black and white and it's your fault for doing this and your fault for doing that but for the Raptors we really didn't see that and yeah. that's why it's, why it's so sad when you see the Celtics going and they're kind of imploding two games in and you know that the Raptors if they were in that situation wouldn't be doing so but they also would have been up to it 2 so
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, the playoffs are so crazy. Like, I guess every year it's really about matchups, um, and, and that's kind of the the whole thing with the playoffs. And what we saw with the Sixers was they built a team to really match up with the Milwaukee Bucks, which um, bad idea, bad idea, Elton Brand. But um, it's because I think if the if the playoffs were flipped, and the Bucks face the Celtics, I think the Bucks would be in the conference finals. And I think if the Raptors had faced the Heat, and maybe this doesn't bring Nikai Duncan on our podcast, but whatever, we'll find other ways. Uh, I think the Raptors would be in the conference finals. So it's really interesting to just sort of see the way that this is all played out. But over on the Western Conference, the, the lesser conference, um, <laughs> <laughs> the Denver Nuggets have put themselves in a nice and pretty hole so that they can dig out for the third time And win it all. That's my pick. That's what I'm going with. What do you think about what's going on over over on the other side?
1: That's what I really, really want. I would love, absolutely love a Nuggets Heat final. Because one, it's not the Lakers. Two, it's not the Celtics. And three, it's like an underdog story from both sides. So I would love that personally. And Kitchener's Finest gets to win. And Kitchener's Finest. Either way, Canada wins. So... (laughs) I mean Jamal to Murray. Have, I forgot about
0: Kelly Olenek.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, we forgot Kelly. You too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Jamal Murray has been insane. The problem with what the the Lakers have figured out is fouling everyone early. I mean, you had Jokic with five fouls. I think he had four fouls in the first half, did he not? And so when your star is sitting for half of a quarter. And then Jamal Murray, I think, had two or three fouls as well. So when both your stars actually are sitting for almost half of the second quarter, that's an issue because, yes, they come alive in the third and fourth, but we still need to be able to, I say we because we're all Denver Nuggets fans now, um, need to chip away at any kind of momentum that the Lakers have built and not just kind of try and come into it at the half and make up for what you didn't do in the first.
0: I agree completely, and I kind of want to stop talking about these games because it's depressing me that the Raptors are not playing. Like, it's been over a week without a Raptors game, and I'm itching. Like, I miss these guys. I would sit and watch Rondé Hollis-Jefferson put up a million threes if that's what it would take to get some Raptors content um, and to get some Raptors players. I would watch Chris Boucher. Actually, I kind of like watching Chris Suchet shoot threes. Yeah, of, I was like, "Where are we going with this?"
1: Because he's pretty fun.
0: He's he's fun. He's fun. He's fun. Um, I, there's a lot of sort of talk about with the Raptors, and I, I think we can probably save it just for more like down the road, off sort of outlook, because what this team can look like next season can be very different than the team that they put out this year, or it can be very similar depending on what Masai Jiri, Bobby Webster, and all have to do. Um, I do want to say congratulations to Nick Nurse for securing the bag, as the kids say, and getting a nice extension from the Toronto Raptors. It was well-deserved. He also has a book out, so Nick Nurse is doing everything. He's just everywhere. He's basically a Dishes and Dimes member at this point um, with just him being at all places at all times. Um, What do you, I guess like, I I don't even know how to ask you. What do you think about the Nick Nurse extension? It just was uh, something that the Raptors had to do, huh?
1: Exactly that. I mean, who else is there out there right now that would compare to Nick Nurse? You know, we've seen so many of these firings, but I don't think any of them would be able to do with this team last year and this year what Nick Nurse was able to do. And with any team going forward, I mean, I think he's—I just think he's really good at his job. And I think we've only seen kind of the beginning. I think that not only will Pascal use this year as a kind of a stepping stone or a learning, a learning curve, but mm-hmm. I think Nick Nurse will as, well, will as well. You know, he's seen what he's done wrong. He's seen where he needs to make adjustments. And I think come next year, they're both going to have more of a fire under them to perform better at each of their respective jobs.
0: I love that you said that, because I think we so often look at NBA players, especially young NBA players or uh, guys that are new to the NBA, and talk about their trajectory and talk about their growth every single season. But we kind of look at coaches as final products, and it's like, well, what you showed us is what you are, Um, when coaches can also learn and grow in the same way. So I love that you sort of put it in that way, um, because yeah, so Nick Nurse didn't have a perfect playoff run, I would say, you know, there were some things that we can point to um, in, in the second round, especially, (laughs) well, I don't know that the Nets are really a playoff team, so probably throw that series out entirely, um, but I I love that you put it in that way, and I think what's so special about what we have with Nick Nurse is, (laughs) I, like, the Raptors kind of made mistakes, I don't want to say made mistakes, but the Raptors went after, uh, or there were rumors that the Raptors really wanted Mike Budenholzer, (laughs) Um, and instead of getting Mike, good old Mike, who is probably on the hot seat right now, they ended up getting Nick Nurse, which I mean, imagine just lucking in to a coach like that, who I think is a, a better coach than than Mike Budenholzer as we've seen. He is way more susceptible to well, Nick Mike Budenholzer is more susceptible to sort of sticking into his uh sticking to his guns and not really, um not really changing which is what we need what you need in a playoff coach you need a guy who's malleable you need a guy who can look at a certain situation and be like yeah you know what Stephen curry is killing us and the rest of these guys on the court aren't doing bleep and so we're gonna pull out a box in one or you know what we're not gonna let campbell go off so we're gonna pull out a box in one um which um Is great and what you want in sort of a coach. So it's great that the Raptors kind of lucked into getting Nick Nurse in a very similar way where they lucked into getting Kyle Lowry, who is the greatest player in franchise history. If you guys remember, the Raptors wanted Steve Nash at the time. And all guns blazing going for Steve Nash. And Steve wanted to be close to his family, so he ended up going to L.A. The Raptors were stuck with Landry Field's contract, which, I mean... (laughs) Unfortunate things happen sometimes in pursuit of great players, but the Raptors ended up with Kyle Lowry as sort of a consolation prize. And if you remember how Nash's um career ended with the Los Angeles Lakers, the Raptors definitely lucked in to getting Kyle Lowry as opposed to Steve Nash there. And a very similar thing happened where when Tim Lywicky came to Toronto, there were all these rumors about going after Phil Jackson because Phil Jackson is close friends with Tim Lywicke and the Raptors wanted to move away from Brian Colangelo. Um, and so <laughs> there were all these rumors and reports about uh, Phil Jackson being that guy, but that didn't end up happening. And the Raptors ended up going after Masai Ujiri and uh, giving him the bag, pulling him away from the Denver Nuggets. So it feels like the Raptors kind of luck in to getting the guy that is meant to be with the team after going for the bigger name fish. So maybe we'll see that same thing happen with Giannis. Maybe the Raptors go big after Giannis ended up with someone else. I don't know. That's so
1: great to look forward to because you're right. It is so, there's so much what if in NBA basketball, you know, just to take it back to when we were talking about the playoffs and how it's all matchup based. There's so many what ifs for that. And there's so many what ifs for what if Mike Budenholzer was our coach or what if, you know, Phil Jackson was our president or our GM. It's just, there's so much. What
0: if Steve Nash was our point guard at age 30? Whatever.
1: <laughs> it was a <laughs> but no, it's just so fun to think about what could have been and what actually is, and how, you know, sometimes we're going to get a little, a little deep here. But, you know, when one door closes, another opens. And I know that door happens to be holding Masayu Ujiri and he's like glowing with like a halo of light. So. <laughs> I love that
0: because, uh, For so long, the Raptors' what-ifs have been so depressing. It's like, what if T-Mac had stayed? What if Vince had stayed? What if Vince didn't have a million and 12 injuries while he was here? What if, like, (laughs) um, Dwayne Wade instead of Chris? It just feels like there have been so many what-ifs that are so negative with the Raptors that now all of them are positive. Karma. Karma, guys.
1: It is. And, you know, seeing Kawhi and the Clippers go out in the same round as the Raptors. That's like a what-if that we actually got to see go- come true.
0: Oof. Oof. I mean, yeah, what? <laughs> That's actually so sad. Yeah, now we're back to the negative what-ifs, though, because it's like, what if he had stayed? Another championship. I, I think the Raptors would have definitely won another championship if Kawhi Leonard stayed. The Raptors had a better showing in the playoffs than the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, they both the teams got out in the second round in a game seven, but the Clippers didn't put up any fight in that second half. They had the lead heading in, and they put up zero fight, uh, whereas the Raptors came down to the final seconds. And just, Kawhi, why would you do that?
1: <laughs> when you have your starters sitting for the last, like, five minutes of a game seven, mm. that just shows that you gave up way long before that.
0: Preach. Preach. Um, Is there anything else you want to sort of dish about in the NBA world? Can we move over to our dime of
1: the week? You want to move over to our dime of the week? Sure, let's do it.
0: All right, my dime of the week is Giannis Attetokounmpo, the league's MVP and future Toronto Raptor.
1: Yeah, good good for you, Giannis. I mean, yes, you did terribly in the playoffs, but that's not your fault. That's the fault of your teammates and your coach. But good for you,
0: back to back. (laughs) just leave just leave Chris Middleton aside we've got a guy named Kyle Lowry he could be you know your number two um yeah so is your dime of the week the same as mine
1: it is because I have a lot of thoughts about MVP
0: oh I'm gonna sit back and listen to your lots of thoughts
1: okay so first of all the way that MVP is set up needs to be a lot more strict in the rules of voting because right now it's a popularity contest it's who did we talk about the most this year? oh, we talked about Giannis, we talked about LeBron James, we talked about James Harden. So those are going to be your top three. But what MVP should be is most valuable player. Who is the player with the most value? And should that be on their current team or should that be on any other team? Because if you put James Harden into a different system, James Harden's not going to be your MVP. Mm -hmm. If you put LeBron James into a brand new system, like you did with the Lakers, they didn't make the playoffs that year. If you put Giannis into a different setting, on a different team, he's still going to succeed and be Giannis. So I think he is deserving, but I also think that you need to think of smaller role, smaller role players when you think of MVP. I mean, Kyle. bring it back to Kyle Lowry, as we always do on this show. Kyle could go into any system and make that system better. Really? Kyle, he, he can give you 30-plus a night, or he can give you 10 and give you 28 assists and 57 more assists that don't show up on a box sheet because that's just the kind of player he is. He knows what he has to do in the moment, and he does it. I think something like that should account for MVP voting.
0: I think, yeah, I, I think they should come up with another award, um, because I, I, I do think MVP is a little bit it, – it's so difficult because the rules aren't as strict. Is it the best player on the best team who should get MVP? Um, is it the most valuable player? Because maybe that's the, someone who's not on a great team, but they're really sort of lifting them up, um, in a very, uh, yeah. I, I, or Wait, is it. In that way, it could be Luca. Yeah. Or is it like, I think there could be something to say, like most versatile player or like maybe most valuable player can be sort of a guy that's on a, on a lesser team. And the best player can be the, the sort of, Guy that we see the quintessential MVP of the person that we think of as the MVP, I think the NBA should change it up. And that's something that Rachel Nichols has really talked about for a long time is really changing criteria. Because I think MVP can mean so many different things to so many different people. And um, I, I do want to give a lot of credit to Pascal Siakam, who made All NBA second team. Um, and deservedly so, I thought. Um, and he also got a lot of MVP votes. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah, finished in the, the top, top, top 10 for MVP. What do you think about that?
1: I mean, I think that it's well-deserved. I think, again, Pascal is a player that can go into any system and succeed. And his, when you think about his trajectory, from going from most improved player to being a number one option on the defending champions, that's a lot of pressure on his head. And I think he handled it well. You know, he didn't have the greatest semifinals run, and that's fine. but the absolute size of the boulder that he is needing to carry with with this Raptors team is not something that a lot of people can handle.
0: See, I I think I, I fall on sort of the different end where I I'm trying to find a way to word this without coming off as disrespectful to Pascal Siakam who I thought had a very great season this year. But I think the the general sort of NBA landscape overlooks the Toronto Raptors. I'm not breaking any news by saying anything like that. Um, And when the Raptors lost Kawhi Leonard, what they thought they would get was a team that wasn't going to be very good. Lots of people projected them around the six, seven seed mark. So we're talking where the Brooklyn Nets and the Orlando Magic were slated. That's where people thought that this Raptors team would be. And this, the Raptors finished with the second best record in the entire NBA. The second best record on pace to win 60 games if we had a full 82 uh, game season. This was a very good team, and I think when people looked at that, they didn't expect it heading in, and so it's. So the credit went to Pascal Siakam because they couldn't understand it. And he was a number two guy, at least on the offensive end. He was a number two scoring option last year. So that's where he went. He was a big name because he won MIP. Uh, He was an all-star starter. He got a lot of the recognition for the team's success. And I think that comes back to undervaluing Kyle Lowry. And really just undervaluing the talent that the Raptors have across the board, but specifically Kyle Lowry. It's the same thing where people thought that the Clippers were shoo-ins for NBA Finals and were the best team on paper. A lot of that is because of what Kawhi Leonard did last year. People did not expect this team to win as many games as they did. People did not expect this team to win a championship in their first year together. So the fact that Kawhi Leonard, I apologize for that, was able to do that. The fact that Kawhi Leonard was able to do that with the Toronto Raptors last year made, I think, built up Kawhi's legacy in a way. And I'm not taking anything away from Kawhi Leonard. He was absolutely brilliant last year. But I think, once again, that underscores what Kyle Lowry brings to this team, and it underscores what the rest of the guys do. And I think the same thing happened with Pascal getting so much of the credit for this year's Toronto Raptors team, finishing top 10 in MVP voting. I I think that was way too high for him. And I think it underscores the value that Kyle brought. Kyle did not make any All-NBA team.
1: I mean, Kyle should have been the MVP anyway.
0: Kyle, (laughs) I think Kyle is the MVP of this team. And I think people saw that in the playoffs. Kyle Lowry is still this team's best player. He is far and away this team's most valuable player. And um, you look at what Chris Paul was able to get, um, and I'm not taking anything away from what Chris Paul did. He had a phenomenal season. Was it that much better than Kyle Lowry's? Is it not a toss-up? Can you not say anything, any positive that you would say about the season that Chris Paul had this year can uh, can be said about Kyle Lowry. They're very much interchangeable seasons. I think Kyle performed better than Chris Paul did in the playoffs. Um, and so if we're, if we're considering everything, which I know these awards don't do, they, they stop before the bubble. Kyle Lowry was very good for this team and got overlooked one more time. And people didn't know what to make of this team's success. And so it all fell on Pascal Siakam. And I, I think Pascal deserves a lot of the credit but Kyle Lowry still this team's best player. And I'm kind of upset that it that didn't get recognized. It never got recognized when DeMar DeRozan was on this team, right? Like people saw the success of this team as being because of DeMar, which is why it was like, well, DeMar has gone, Kawhi has gone. So like, they're not going to be as good this year. This team's success has always been about Kyle Lowry. He has been this team's best player every single year, except for when Kawhi Leonard was here. And it's unfortunate that he continues to get overlooked.
1: I mean, yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, MVP should not be highest scorer.
0: No, and that's what people look at they're like okay well let's take a look at this team well I guess Pascal averages the most points but also Pascal we saw what he was able to do last year in the the playoffs and he was absolutely phenomenal he was definitely the number two offensive option next to Kawhi Leonard Kawhi and him did a great job but I think we're really underscoring the value that Kyle Lowry brings he is such a winning player and it's unfortunate like, to me what what sort of confuses me the most is people are able to see it with Chris Paul people yeah that's able that's, to yeah, see true. the value yeah sorry for cutting off but like people are able to see the value that Chris brings why aren't you able to see the value that Kyle Lowry brings? I called Chris Paul Chris I don't think I've ever done that in my entire
1: life we're on a first name basis <laughs> like, like
0: if when I said it I was like who's that <laughs> like, Chris Bosch Chris like I've never called Chris Paul Chris that's so weird um yeah sorry uh I lost my train of thought I'll let you speak
1: (laughs) I mean the train of thought I think we have the same one is that Kyle Lowry is not appreciated and if MVP were scored the way that MVP should be scored it would be a toss-up between someone like Chris Paul and someone like someone like Chris and someone like Kyle
0: (laughs) and like here's the thing and 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 I I personally believe that Yadis deserved this and like um deserve the MVP and I think that LeBron James getting 16 votes was uh, more that to me it's like i feel like mvp more often than not should be unanimous or <laughs> it's just like there's clearly one guy like yannis was the best player on the best team and sometimes like that that's what the award that we sort of there was no set rule but that's kind of what we've talked about this award being and i agree with you we need to change it because if we're looking at the words right. valuable player uh it, it's different and um it
1: didn't have an anthony davis beside him the whole road he had a Chris Middleton.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we see what the difference between that is. Yeah. And I think uh, so many of the voters what we saw were some awful ballots like the fact that those are now like transparent we get to see what people do there have been some awful ballots that came out we we have Andre Drummond making uh you know getting votes on the defensive teams where <laughs> oh, Raptors got overlooked I have another rant in me I'm gonna save it but Raptors got overlooked on that end as well which is like so incredibly frustrating because like Patrick Beverly you see the Clippers make it and if you watch. The uh, Western Conference semifinals. The Clippers are not a better team than the Toronto Raptors. I'm sorry. Uh, the entire Western playoffs has made me go, does the West even play defense? Like, what are we watching? And people, people keep talking about in this NBA world about like, well, you know, guys aren't playing defense in the bubble. We haven't seen... Have you guys watched the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors? Tell me again that teams are not playing defense. Just say that the teams that you're focusing on are not playing defense because defense is clearly being played in the bubble. We saw it in the Eastern Conference semifinals. We are not seeing it elsewhere.
1: That part. That part.
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I feel like I, I have so much to say about the voting, but I think we should just go over to the mailbag because I'm gonna be talking for like four hours.
1: <laughs> Don't worry, we've got it. We've got a, a, an episode every week, so save some of those rants. Let's go to yeah, let's go to our questions. So the first one from um, Hidden Queer, outside of the basketball achievements, what was your favorite thing about watching this year's Raptors?
0: Ooh, um. The growth of O.G. Ananobi,
1: yeah, um, I think,
0: is. is has been the most exciting for me. And even to start the year, I would say the growth of Pascal Siakam, um, because I thought he took uh, another major step um, to start the year. But I think just in, if I am looking back at the season as a whole, it's got to be O.G. Ananobi's growth.
1: Especially after the season he had last year, which was just like injury and hardship and injury and hardship, rinse, repeat all the way through to the end. Yep. I think for me, it was, I mean, outside of their basketball achievements, definitely having O'Shea Brissett on the bench (laughs) for every
0: celebration. Yep.
1: That was probably my favorite.
0: Oh, the bench celebrations are so great this year.
1: They are. They are elite. And I mean, and also just, just the feeling of going through this whole season as the champ. I know that's not like a Raptors accomplishment necessarily on the court. This, this season but it's just to watch stress-free and to watch just knowing like yes I'm watching this as a fan of the championship team wonderful
0: yeah I've been a fan for a long time I've never watched a more stress-free season
1: <laughs> so from Sun, what would you like to see in the offseason versus what do you think will actually happen so what do you want to see in your ideal world
0: I mean, in my ideal world, we get a call from Kawhi Leonard being like, hey, can I come back? And everyone's like, yeah. Uh, and then we have the team of olds back here. <laughs> what I expect to see is, um, I think Fred is going to get paid by the Toronto Raptors. And I think it's going to, I think New York and Detroit are really going to sort of drive up the price there. Um, but I think the Raptors are going to keep him. I don't know an exact figure, but I think it's gonna be a little bit steeper than I would like necessarily. Um, and I think that you're I think the Raptors either bring back a solar Ibaka on a one-year deal. And um because I think 2021 is what the Raptors have their eye at eyes on. And I think if the Raptors are sort of making any moves, it's really Uh, looking at that 2021 free agency. Uh, So I think even with like OGN and OB, I don't necessarily know the factors are going to sign the extension. I think they're going to sort of wait out, really try to free up as much cap um, as they can. And we have no idea what the cap situation is going to look like this summer, let alone next summer. So um, I don't know.
1: I'll give it, I'll throw the question back to you. So what I would like to see happen, I've thought about this a lot, was if the Clippers, if Kawhi somehow convinced the Clippers to buy out his contract on a stretch provision, and then he came back to Toronto on a minimum deal. So not only would we have Kawhi for absolutely no money at all, but they would be paying him for the next like 20 years because that contract's so massive. So they would be stuck and we would have Kawhi back. That would be my ideal situation. As far as what I think is going to happen, I think Fred will still be here. And it has nothing to do with salaries or teams. It's because I was at Foot Locker yesterday and the Fred Van Vleet and one shoes are out and they are Raptors purple, Raptors red, and they have a Raptors claw on them. And we know Fred does not like to play with his money, so he's not going to release those shoes a couple weeks before free agency if he's not coming back. <laughs> All righty. I want to go to the next one, <laughs> So based on Mars, do you think the Clippers are cursed? I personally don't think the Clippers are cursed. I think the Clippers have too many egos that cannot be managed. Whew.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that the Clippers are cursed just because I think we can see what their issues were this year, right? Like, it's not so much that they were this perfect team that came together and they still flamed out. Um they didn't have play, like, Kawhi Leonard literally went from being the fifth best playmaker on the Toronto Raptors to being like the best playmaker on the Los Angeles Clippers this year. Um, that was like, if you kind of point to the one weakness in Kawhi Leonard's game, it's playmaking. It's setting up for other guys. He can get himself shots. He can get himself his looks, but uh, not, it's, it's never been sort of a high point in his game. And so I think looking at it, it's not so much the Clippers are cursed. It's that we all kind of expected more from them because we didn't really respect what the Raptors did last year. We didn't respect how good the players were around him and how well he fit into a system here. Kawhi fit perfectly into a system in Toronto because the Raptors are built around Demar Derozan, and Kawhi Leonard is Demar Derozan with great defense and just better offensive repertoire. Right? Like he's just he's a better version of Demar. If Demar is Charmander, he is Charizard. Right? Like it's. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a very similar uh, type of player. They fit into that exact same arc. And so that's why he was able to perfectly fit around the Toronto Raptors, whereas Los Angeles Clippers were never built to fit Kawhi Leonard. That was never the idea behind the Clippers. Otherwise, you would put a lot of playmakers around him. You would um, just... and And so... It makes sense that they didn't perform as well as we thought they did because I think for the entire year we were just underscoring how good the Toronto Raptors were.
1: Agreed. hundred percent. I mean, I think we look I think we spent that whole season watching with rose colored glasses and they, you know, with a big we have Kawhi Leonard painted on the front of them. Mm-hmm. And now when you are back, you can really appreciate everyone else around him. For sure. So our next question, I think we can do this as our last one. Um, from Rob Senta, who has been supporting this podcast since before it even started. So thank you very much, Rob. And he asks, if you think back to the end of their rookie year and forget what you know has happened since. So if you were in a coma between all these rookie years and now, which player were you most optimistic about? Norm, Fred Van Vliet, OG, Pascal, or Terrence Davis II?
0: That's a really good question. Um, For me, it was definitely Norm. Um, because the ceiling of – his ceiling just seemed so incredibly high. Um, If you remember, Norm's uh, rookie season was the playoffs where he came out and became playoff Norm, right? Like, that was where we saw Storm and Norman. Um, Paul George was having a phenomenal playoff against the Raptors. Like, I know we talk a lot of uh, bleep about Paul George, but he was having a superstar Type series against Raptors. I'm talking LeBron James, uh, level destruction of Toronto. Uh, Kawhi Le- Kawhi Leonard level destruction. Like he was performing out of his mind. It was it was a superstar performance. It was an incredibly dominant performance, and Demar Derozan just. Could not keep up, and what we saw was a Demar Derozan being benched in the fourth quarter of games, and Norman Powell really coming in and showing up for the Raptors, really changing the series for the Raptors in Game Five, um, and giving the Raptors life. And what we saw was a guy who had absolutely no fear. The, the he had his like signature windmill dunk, um, but we saw a guy come in and score in a way that really. It looked very promising. His ceiling looked very high. And we see those flashes. When when Norm is on, he looks phenomenal. I think he has the most aesthetically pleasing game of any Toronto Raptor. Um, but also, OG Ananobi also had phenomenal playoff run in his first uh, year against the Raptors, with the Raptors, against the Raptors, uh, in his first year with the Raptors against the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Raptors got swept, um, but not because of him. And not because of Kyle Lowry, Those were the only two players that I thought put up any fight. And what we saw from OG was he's a guy who can guard superstars in this league. We, he had a, an amazing defensive game against James Harden where he really locked him up and you can put him on LeBron James and LeBron James is going to LeBron James. We saw that. But, um, I think just sort of what he could do defensively, um, was really surprising, and then he also had a good three-point shot, which is something that we were told, you know, as the Raptors sort of drafted him, it was like, well, can he he shoot? He's a good defensive player, but can he shoot? And what we saw in his first year was he could be a 3-and-D guy. So I think with OG, the floor seemed the highest, and that kind of made me the most excited was he really had a high floor. But with Norman Powell, the ceiling seemed incredibly high with him coming out the gate. And also, I want to say, you guys can check this up. When Fred VanVleet played in the preseason uh, for the Toronto Raptors, and we weren't sure if we were going to keep him or not, I was tweeting out, holy moly, Fred VanVleet is locking up the unanimous MVP. Fred VanVleet is throwing daggers in his face. Like Fred VanVleet had no fear. It was preseason. This is an undrafted guy going up against Stephen Curry, and I'm like, Fred Van is besting Stephen Curry in this game. I want him on this team and the Raptors did keep him. And what we saw was that was not just a Fred Van Vliet preseason performance because I just thought Steph wasn't taking preseason seriously. It, came out to be that Fred Van Vliet just outplays Stephen Curry in any game they play against each other because we saw that in the finals as well so the Raptors have had really sort of special moments I don't want to um pretend like I thought that Fred Van Vliet would be what he was after watching one preseason game but I watched him go up against Steph there and I was calling it I-, I mentioned it and we saw it in the finals there too
1: she knew she knew do you remember when he was like jawing at LeBron James in the playoffs yeah he has no fear. No fear whatsoever. And he's so like pint-sized that it's just so funny <laughs> going up against like the greatest player on earth. I agree. With you. I think for me, it would definitely be Norm because I remember that game five dunk against the Pacers. I was sitting behind the basket. It was my birthday. Ooh, and out of nowhere comes Norm and just slams it down. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to be a star. And I think I still think that like I'm still team Norm. I still think he has that potential. I just think that everything with Norm is mental. I think he just needs, he feels the need to do too much and he gets so caught up in his own head that like, Norm, if you want some sertraline, I got you, like, we are going to figure this out. We're going to get rid of your on-court anxiety and you are going to become the greatest player of all time. And I think that's probably also the last series that Kawhi Leonard watched and was like, wow, I really need Paul George because anything (laughs) after that Raptors-Pazers series, I'm like, sure, Paul George is the one you want to leave us for? But that concludes this episode of Dishes and Dimes. Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you can, if you have a moment, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your aunts, tell your uncles. We're all going to be in lockdown again soon. So they're going to need something to do. Um, I'm Kelsey, joined again by Iman. And we will see you next time. Bye.